Hello, and welcome to Over the Edge. Today's episode features an interview that took place live at the 2020 Edge Computing World Conference between Matt Trefiro and special guest Jonathan Selig, co-founder and CEO of Ridge and co-founder of Akamai Technologies. As a co-founder of Akamai, Jonathan is one of the true godfathers of edge computing, having enjoyed an extremely impressive two-plus decade career in technology as a founder, investor, and board member. In this interview, Jonathan and Matt discuss the past, present, and future of edge technology, starting with the origins of Akamai at MIT in 1997, through to Jonathan's latest venture at Ridge, where he is building the distributed cloud platform that will power the next generation of cloud-native applications. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors. Over the Edge is brought to you by the generous sponsorship of Catchpoint, NetFoundry, Ori Industries, Packet, Seagate, Vapor.io, and Zenlayer. The featured sponsor of this episode of Over the Edge is Zenlayer. Improving user experience doesn't have to be complicated or expensive. Zenlayer helps you lower latency with on-demand edge services in over 150 POPs around the world. Find out how you can improve your user's experience today at zenlayer.com slash edge. And now, please enjoy this interview between Jonathan Selig, co-founder and CEO of Ridge and co-founder of Akamai, and your host, Matt Trefiro. Hi, everybody. This is Matt Trefiro. I'm the CMO of Edge Infrastructure Company, Vapor.io, and co-chair of the Linux Foundation's State of the Edge Project. And as Gavin mentioned, I'm also the host of Over the Edge, a weekly hour-long interview-style podcast on edge computing and the future of the internet. You can find it at overtheedgepodcast.com and, of course, on all the major podcasting platforms, including iTunes and Spotify. So I want to give a quick shout-out to my podcast sponsors, Catchpoint, NetFoundry, or Industries, Equinix, Seagate, Vapor.io, and Zen Layers. Through their generous contributions, we've been able to produce this labor of love. And today, uh, we're coming to you live from Edge Computing World. Um, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Jonathan Selig, currently CEO and co-founder of Ridge, but also one of the co-founders of Akamai, which gives him true godfather status in the edge computing world. We're going to talk about Jonathan's legendary technology career, including the origins of Akamai at MIT in 1998, and we'll carry through Jonathan's current venture at Ridge. We're going to cover the past, present, and future of edge technology. So pay attention. Hey, Jonathan, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Matt. Thank you very much for having me. It's fun to do this uh, live, and I'm very happy to be chatting with you. Yeah, that's great. You know, one of the questions that I always like to ask people because the answers are so interesting, and I think even though you're at MIT and have a physics undergrad, you majored in business, and you actually left to found Akamai. I won't spoil too much of the story, but how did you even get started in technology? Uh, so I uh, was always sort of technically minded when I went to college. Uh, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada on the, the West Coast, but North. Then I uh, went to college at Stanford as an undergrad, and I was interested in technical disciplines, but but actually more sort of in the pure sciences. So I, I have a degree in physics. I, I decided to pursue that as opposed to engineering. And you know, when I graduated from my undergrad degree, realized that I probably wasn't smart enough to be a, a full-on physicist, and so I should go and uh, look at practical things and see if there were places that some of the knowledge could be applied. I, I got just uh, kind of pulled into the technology industry initially through the telecom industry. My first job out of college was with a company actually based out of Israel called ECI Telecom. And I just loved the, the idea that we were building stuff that made networks work better and that made time circuit switched phone calls uh, just have a lot more kind of capacity on, on networks for, you know, for calls. It just felt like a really 
cool way to apply my technical interest in making, you know, making networks work better and allowing people to communicate. And so it's been, you know, at this point, 25 plus uh, years of that. So, yeah. When, when did you start your business degree at MIT? I, st- I got to MIT in the summer of 1997. And yeah, really just a few months after I got there, I was introduced to my co-founder at Akamai, Danny Lewin, uh, and his uh, faculty advisor at, at MIT, Tom Layton, who's our, our other co-founder in the company. And Tom and Danny had been working on some technology for, for a little bit already in, in the lab at MIT. And uh, in late 97, when I got to, to MIT, started talking to them about how we might take some of those technologies and build a business out of it. So I got there in 97 and we really started working on Akamai as a business in, in late 97 and kind of full on launched it in, in 98. What does Akamai mean? Akamai is a Hawaiian word that means intelligent and clever. And the vernacular kind of uh, way that it's used, the way that it's used in casual conversation is it means cool. And so we liked a lot of the connotations uh, of it. We were starting the business in the late 90s, and at the time, it felt like every domain name was already taken and there were no names left for companies. I guess that the kind of various different suffixes that we've given ourselves of the IOs and the COs and the TOs and all of that stuff has maybe kind of expanded the name, uh, the namespace capacity some. But at the time, we felt like we were kind of, uh, you know, scratching pretty hard to find something. And 20 and something years later, that problem is oh, so much worse. So yeah, that, that's where the name came from. That's super interesting. And, you know, as, as legend has it, and correct me if I'm wrong, there was a uh, now a $100,000 MIT business plan contest, yeah. but a $50,000 MIT business plan contest you guys entered. Now, you didn't win, which is interesting because I went and looked at all the people that have won. And uh, I think Akamai by far is the most successful company, the group. Tell me about those early days of you and yeah. your co-founders getting together and going down that path. Well, so, so uh, you're absolutely right. The competition at the time uh, was the MIT 50K competition. Uh, it had just been upgraded that year from 25K. So uh, it was already kind of, you know, it was halfway to, I guess, where, where it is today. And we did not win uh, the 50K competition. In fact, we were finalists, meaning that we were in the final six. We were not in the top three. So we were either four, five, or six. Pick your ranking for us. And you know, the, the competition had a lot of different diverse kind of areas and, and fields as part of it. When we didn't win the MIT 50K competition, we were, you know, kind of crestfallen and, and we were kind of upset that we hadn't done as well as, as we would have liked. And in the end, there were some fundamental kind of business model questions that um, it caused us to answer and, and to build a really, you know, a, a much better business at Akamai than perhaps we would have had we kind of won outright. So, you know, the blessing of the skinned knee, I guess, is, uh, you know, is that one. Well, I, I think for all intents and purposes, you did end up winning. So that's really great. We built a great business. Akamai is a, ter- is a fantastic company. I'm, I'm super proud of what we were able to build there. I'm very proud of what we built as we as we went along. And I'm incredibly proud of where the company is today. It's a tremendous, tremendous business. But, you know, you asked what we were trying to do at the at the beginning of this. Yeah. And, and, you know, really what we were trying to do initially was to find something cool to do with some technology that Danny and Tom had developed together. It was Danny's master's thesis, an algorithm called consistent hashing. And, you know, there's a lot of we, we can get really far down into the weeds on this. But the long and the short of it is that Tom and Danny, both brilliant computer scientists from the algorithms group at the Lab for Computer Science at MIT, had some ideas about how to allow very highly distributed networks to be able to function with very imperfect information and very different information from place to place about what was in fact in the network. 
So the idea of hashing functions, how you decide where you put content and where you go and retrieve content, the idea of a lot of routing on the, you know, on the internet, all of these, the internet works because you don't need to know what the entire network looks like from one place. That's a good point. Yeah. And, you know, that was uh, sort of a new topology in the late 90s when we were working on this. And Tom and Danny had some some amazing technology ideas around this. What we figured out at Akamai was that uh, it w- was actually something very similar to, I think, what edge computing is starting to look like now and certainly what we're trying to do now at Ridge. What we figured out at Akamai was that even though there were very, very, very big network providers out there, AT&T, WorldCom, BT, they were always going to be way bigger than little Akamai was going to be. But if you were a content owner, if you were a content provider, you cared about getting to every single user in the world very effectively. And as enormous as AT&T were, they only got you close to a relatively small fraction of the users in the world. And if you really wanted to get close to all of those users in the world as a content owner, you should probably be thinking about putting your content on AT&T, but also on NTT and also on China Telecom and also on BT. It should be in lots and lots of different places from a network topology standpoint, as well as probably a geography standpoint. And that idea of distributed infrastructure and the enormous advantage that we could give to content providers through distributed infrastructure was, I guess I would, you know, I would say sort of one of the fundamental innovations that we brought to the table at Akamai. It was amazing to go to a customer at the very, very beginning when we had, you know, single digits, millions of dollars of capital raised, and we were, you know, 12 people in the company or, or, or whatever we were, you know, we were tiny. And going to a customer like CNN or like the New York Times or like Disney and saying with a straight face, we are bigger than WorldCom as far as you're concerned. And you get this look from people like, are you crazy? And we say, no, no, we're bigger than them for in the way that it matters. We're sitting on five different networks around the world and they are by definition on one. And I'm going to get you closer to a lot of users than you would ever be able to get to by working with just one provider. And that fundamental change to how content owners think about content delivery, I would say is sort of the biggest innovation, is the fundamental innovation that came out of Akamai and what made it such a, an exciting company to be a part of in the early days. It's what made telling the story um, of what we were building so fun and so exciting because you had these aha moments of a content. Yeah. What a great reaction to a value proposition as a startup. Yeah, it was so fun, right? To go and talk to these big content owners and say, hey, people try to get to your content from Japan. L- let me tell you how good, you know, again, I'm picking on AT&T, but AT&T's network is in Japan. It's not, it's bad. You know who's is really good? NTT's, and I have a partnership with them. And so this idea of overlay infrastructure, of being able to build something on top of other providers, and of thinking about, you know, the early, the, 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 you know, we used to use the term edge for where we were going to deliver content from. We would say to content providers, we are going to get your content closer to the edge of the network. One of the things that to me that's so interesting, and, you know, I, I hope, Matt, that you and I will talk about this a little bit later on, is kind of definitionally, what is edge? 
let's dive right into that because when I was doing the research for the first State of the Edge report, yeah. you know, I, I went looking to try to answer this question, and it is kind of an impossible question to answer because there are lots yeah. of different edges. So I think that's part of it. But some of the earliest references to edge computing that I could find in the literature was in some of the early writings that Danny and others on the founding team yeah, and technical yeah. team did at Akamai. I mean, Akamai certainly invented the content delivery network, which was the origins of the business. Now Akamai does quite a bit of other things. Yeah. It was a content delivery network, potentially also invented the term edge computing, although maybe not, but it's certainly one of the earliest references. In fact, your first product, uh, as far as I could tell, was called Edge Suite back in 1998. So, so, very, so yes, so, so a very early product at Akamai was called Edge Suite. Our first product was actually called uh, Free Flow, and our next product was called First Point. It was a load balancing product, a, a mapping product. But the first capability that we had in the network beyond just sort of bit delivery, so beyond just this very highly distributed kind of uh, you know disk plus plus network interface card capability yeah. that we had, where we could actually do some amount of page assembly and of uh, you know uh, HTML processing and dynamic web pages and things like that. The very first place that we implemented that was in a product that was called Edge Suite. Subsequently, Edge Suite became sort of the master, pro the, the the high level product name that a lot of other things kind of fell fell under. So yes, we absolutely used that term very, very early. Even before we had a product that had the word edge in it, we did talk to content providers about trying to get their content to the edge of the network. In that particular circumstance, definitionally, what we meant by edge was we meant close to end users so that we can give you low latency and, and in, in most circumstances, more importantly, high throughput to that end user. That was sort of the definitional you know, uh, yeah, I mean, back in 1998, you tried to watch a high definition movie video, you'd get a, a buffer. I, in fact, even large JPEGs you'd have to wait for. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, and, it definitely, and, I definitely see the advantage of that. So, a question is if the primary goal of Akamai in the early days was just delivering stored content, you know, as you said, you know, in the early days, it was it was a network interface card in a, in a disk drive and some yeah. clever software. Why not just build bigger pipes? Why place the content out of the edge? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you, you know, the way that, that traffic works and that traffic routing works and that, you know, caching ends up working, you know, it's sort of a, it's sort of like saying, why don't we just, you know, fix freeway congestion by just building bigger and bigger freeways? Um, We've tried that. We, yeah, it turned, yeah, it hasn't worked so well, right? So it, it turns out that, that you, in fact, really need to be thinking about this architecture quite holistically. And it's not just the core of the network that matters, it's also the connectivity at the edge. And it's the way that someone from their home or from their office is being aggregated before they get to you know, a, a, a node to then go upstream. And so the idea of caching was not a new idea when we came in to being at Akamai. ISPs themselves and network operators themselves would use caches to try to reduce the amount of traffic that they had coming that they needed to bring into their network. And the goal of reducing traffic was, you know, important because first of all, if you're a sort of local ISP, you're probably buying that connectivity from somebody upstream. And so if I can buy less of it, I bring my costs down for running my business, that's good. You know, and by definition, if I was going to put you that much closer to the content, I was going to give you better performance. And so, you know, there were certainly improvements to the infrastructure that happened because the core was getting built out so aggressively in the late 90s and, and early 2000s. That absolutely helped. 
But at the end of the day, you know, when we've built bigger freeways, we've also needed bigger freeway exits and bigger rest, you know, rest stops and better, you know, traffic light management and the, the main streets that come off of those freeways. I've probably totally butchered the analogy at this point. But, you know, to just fix the core is never, you know, it doesn't solve the problem in these kinds of systems. Yeah. And for people who don't understand the scale of Akamai, I mean, reading from the, the Wikipedia, which is probably five years out of date, Wikipedia claims that uh, Akamai has over 275,000 points of presence, so servers, well, probably more servers, but points of presence in 136 countries. So I imagine it's bigger. So it truly is a global operation. And so, you know, I, I can sort of imagine... So, so, so those numbers are yeah. probably true. You know, quarter quarter of a million ish servers is, is you know is probably about right. I think the number that that when you think about why couldn't we just build the core bigger, the number that's truly staggering is that on a daily basis, the aggregate traffic being pushed off of the Akamai network at peak is over a hundred terabits per second. Per second. So, Right. So yeah, that's a big like, number. Let that sink in for a second and then think about okay, can I build a data center? that's going to push 100 terabits a second out the door. No, of course you can't. So, okay, so let's let's go back to the definition of edge because I, yeah. I sense yeah. that that uh, maybe it's changed. So what is your definition of edge today? How do you, when someone asks you, like, Jonathan, where's the edge? Like, how do you yeah. answer that question? Yeah, so, you know, it, it's, it's very application dependent and very situation dependent. I'll tell you just a quick little sort of old story uh, about about edge. When we started using the term the edge of the network and moving content to the edge of the network and delivering content from the edge of the network, you know, we, we felt like we'd come up with a pretty cool kind of idea. I, I'm not. I don't know if we were the first or not. We certainly felt like it when we did it. Um, but you know, I recall a year or so later walking down uh, down down the street in New York City with my co-founder Danny and. AT&T had just described, had, had just put sort of the marketing term edge around 2G or 3G or, you know, some, some G from oh, from quite a while ago. And uh, they, they were calling that Ed, AT&T Edge. That was the name of their high-speed network. So there was a bus stop in New York City with this poster, you know, bus stop poster with a fancy whatever it was, Motorola, you know, Razor cell phone or whatever it was. And, uh, um, you know, and, and uh, uh, probably even before, maybe a StarTac. Right. Uh, cell phone and, uh, you know, and, and AT&T Edge on it. And I remember walking past this bus stop and pointing to it and saying, oh, my God, Danny, they, they they're competing. Me, like, what? We got to how did they they're using our word. And so <laughs> it clearly means nothing at all. Like yeah. what we meant yeah. when they're using it in, in in the context of this, you know, digital network that they were building out. And so the, the reason that I tell that little story is because I think that this idea of edge computing, and, and I don't want to disparage the word uh, when you and I are speaking at a conference called edge computing world, um, you know, but the word is super situational. It's very much dependent on the application, on the use case, on the geography, on the industry type that we're talking about. And the way that I think about edge, um, first of all, I try to not use the term all that much. Second of all, when we talk, when people say, hey, how do you define edge computing? I say, look at the application that people are trying to deploy understand what level of distribution it needs. And by distribution, I mean, you know, uh, uh, sort of at a technical definitional level, how distributed does it need to be? How many different places does it need to reside? And how do you define the places where it needs to live in order to do what it needs to do effectively? That for that application is the edge. So one of the other ways that I sort of think about it is I think about it a little bit like going to the planetarium with kids and seeing the exhibition 
of the orders of magnitude, mm-hmm, where they show right. you sort of ten to the first, second, third, fourth. You know, and here's a here, here's an atom, here's a molecule, here's a, all the way until you get out to the solar system and the universe. Well, you know, there are applications out there that are going to need tens of milliseconds of latency for every user in order to function well. Yeah. That's the type of application that isn't going to be well supported by the centralized infrastructure that most cloud computing applications use today. Yeah, okay. or even or even the next order of magnitude, tens of microseconds for a virtualized 5G network. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, so move, from, move from tens of milliseconds, right, to single milliseconds. Well, now you're gonna need a lot more places. You are gonna have a lot more nodes as your edge if you wanna get into single digit milliseconds. You wanna get below milliseconds, you're definitely talking about a lot of different geographies. If you're okay with hundreds of milliseconds, centralized architectures that are out there today will probably do that for you for you know a lot of the world's population. And so to me, there's a little bit of this kind of orders of magnitude, you know, definitional question that happens. And you know, what you guys are building at, at Vapor um, is going to, to absolutely help in that kind of tens of milliseconds, you know, world and beyond, right? But you guys are gonna go way, way past that into these microsecond type applications. But even just being able to get to guarantee and assure people tens of milliseconds of latency is valuable because centralized infrastructure can't assure people of that. Yeah, you know, and today we seem to be in this, you know, second wave or even a golden age of edge computing. Certainly, you know, from a Google Trends perspective, it's it's hot. I mean, there's a whole show about it. Back then, you know, there was a company, but there wasn't a whole show about it. And you know, I I I spent a lot of time thinking about what are the what are the causes of this. Um, you know, I wear the state of the edge hat. I'm often on these podcasts. And one of the answers that I feel is most compelling to me is this is the first time in human history where we're moving from an internet that has been primarily humans talking to machines. So you talk about what problem were you solving at Akamai? Well, it was humans requesting content. It was watching a video or looking at a web page that we're moving to a world where primarily machines are going to be talking to machines. And machines are on 24-7. They generate copious amounts of data. uh, And they when they talk to each other, they want to do it, you know, nanoseconds and microseconds and milliseconds. But that's just one of the reasons. I want from your perspective, what's going on now that's causing this new energy around edge computing? So I would, uh, uh, you know, I think that there are a few different things that are happening right now that are driving this need or this interest in edge computing. One is that we are seeing a bunch of low latency applications, applications that care about latency that are being developed as cloud native applications. So applications that are being developed as brand new applications, they know that they're not going to be running on owned and operated infrastructure, but rather they will want to run on, on you know, on a, a cloud. And at the same time, those applications are, for performance reasons, very sensitive to latency and know that they don't get the level of customer satisfaction that they uh, that they strive for if they if they can't achieve that. We've certainly seen all of us and our families and our children using more and more of these applications through this pandemic, right? We are on uh, live interactions with people on Zoom and WebEx and, and others, you know, way more than we were previously. Kids are on video games a lot more as part of their social engagement and, and you know, the, the sort of Anybody with kids who play any of these kind of games, you know, the, the hearing I'm lagging, I'm lagging, being screamed from the, the kid's bedroom, right, is is something. I have two of those. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that we all have experience with. And so 
you know, as we see more of these applications that care about latency get developed as edge native applications, as uh, cloud native applications, they are going to, by definition, also want some uh, something that is, you know, that is edge native. As you said, the machine to machine piece and the desire of the people who are building those systems, be they IoT systems or be them, any, you know, any systems that are looking for any kind of autonomous control where latency starts to matter a lot, those things are starting to, to you know, to, to creep in, to show up in a very active way in today's world. One of the things that I think has also been really interesting in the last couple of years, since you know, really just since we started Ridge, we've seen a huge uptick in the the the, the uh, uh, quantity of data sovereignty and data residency uh, regulations that are out there in the world. There are more and more countries that are starting to really care about where their Populations, you know, social insurance numbers and social security numbers end up, you know, end up moving to where the applications that are um, that those people are using are in fact running. And so we're seeing, I think, a big uptick in the uh, in in concerns around data privacy and data sovereignty. And that, though, it's not really a performance driver for edge applications is still a huge driver for edge. And, and that's why I said sort of at the beginning, it's a definitional question, right? If you just think that edge is out there as a concept because it makes stuff fast, well, okay, that's true for some things. There are certain things that really care about fast, but sometimes you just need it to be in a particular place because that's what the law says. It's gotta be here. Or because that's what your industry best practices are. It can't move out of here. And so all of those things become edge drivers. You know, there's been there's been a, a bit of backlash on uh, latency over the last six months. I mean, you know, I would say that I've legitimately been been an edge since like 2017. Yeah. And in 2017, we all talked about latency because clearly that is one of the huge benefits of edge computing. Yeah. But the the use cases that that demand low latency are are not as fast to emerge as some of these other use cases. I mean, they're there and they're definitely coming. Yeah. Um, so data sovereignty being one of them, one of the original value props for Akamai is one of them, just reducing congestion. I mean, if I yeah. can keep my traffic, uh, you know, offload my traffic in a local zone and have it processed and I don't have to pay a transit provider, or if I'm a, a private enterprise and, you know, I, I, do I really want to pay for the, the egress from some cloud provider that, that mm -hmm. I, I sent my data to for free, you know? Um, okay. So I think you're right. And then there's the data sovereignty issues. And they're, they're even becoming, you know, data sovereignty issues are even becoming more complex. Like you mentioned a country level, which I, I think if you, you look what's happening in Europe, that's certainly the case. But even in the United States, you're seeing it on sometimes on a state level. You're certainly yeah. seeing discussions about it. And even on a city level, and you're talking about like hospital data, you know, the hospital's like, well, I don't have to have on-prem, but it's got to be, I, my, my, my IT team has to be able to walk to it, right? right. So, right. but we, we all want to use cloud principles. I mean, the way we solved that in the past was we had embedded systems or on-prem systems, but now we have these, as you mentioned, I think that's a really important point that um, a lot of the new applications are being built using cloud-native principles. And so we have to have the cloud. So let's talk a little bit about cloud. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition to Ridge, which right. I know you want to talk about, but let's go back in time a little bit. Let's talk about, I mean, I guess it was Edge Suite where you were first introducing programmatic elements into yeah. Edge. So, so tell me about that. Tell me about, because that seems like to me a precursor to this Edge cloud that we're talking about today. So at, at Akamai, we started handling, the very first thing that we knew how to handle for our customers were embedded objects in their web pages. We knew how to handle the JPEGs and those sorts of things in web pages. 
sounds ridiculous to say that we started a business where the only thing we were going to deliver were the JPEGs off of website. (laughs) Right. When I hear hear myself say it today, I'm just like, oh man, was that like really? But at the time, if you really looked at what was on a web page, 3% of it was the HTML container and 97% of it was the stuff that, you know, that was then going to populate the the page. And this complaint in the late nineties of the worldwide weight was not about the HTML loading, Right. It was about all the images sort of painting themselves in slowly but surely. And so, you know, and we're talking about dial-up modems and 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 all of that kind of stuff, right? As in, in terms of the, the throughput rates that we're that we're talking about, you know, tens of kilobits per second of, of traffic that we were trying to get this stuff to, to function in. We over time at Akamai understood that our customers were going to be more loyal to us and we were going to have you know, lower churn, better retention if we were able to do more and more stuff for them over time. And so we obviously wanted to be able to provide more than just, hey, we'll handle your JPEGs. And so we built technologies that handled streaming media, file delivery for, you know, for software downloads, and then uh, eventually also being able to handle the actual, you know, the HTML and the page containers. And, and that meant really knowing how to operate a web server in a highly distributed fashion at scale. So you know, at Akamai, we did, in fact, start to do some very early compute. The, the the evolution of that has certainly been very strong. And CDNs today do have out there offerings that will allow you to do some level of compute on those platforms. Yeah, serverless type compute. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Cloudflare, I think, are, are sort of quite prominently known in the industry for how much they've uh, uh, kind of uh, pioneered that that path with, you know, with Cloudflare workers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but Akamai's got one and Limelight's got one. And, you know, it, it, all of the CDNs have the capability of, of running that type of workload. The difference is that the CDNs in, in what I see them doing are trying to run relatively lightweight and very often stateless, although that's changing a little bit, uh, applications, you know, at the edge, right? And, and when you look at a CDN edge, as you said, Akamai has a quarter of a million servers out there. That edge is very, very distributed. It's in, a, as you said, 135 countries, right? It's in a lot of places. Functionality that CDNs are offering to application owners is for very, very lightweight applications. The type of cloud capabilities that we are working on at Ridge and that we think are going to be really critical for this next generation of cloud native applications are full-fledged applications. You need to be able to run WordPress, Mongo, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you want to run. And then, of course, your own application. So whatever you have built and want to deploy, the way that we look at it is that if you can put that, if you can containerize that application, if you can run that in Kubernetes, you should be able to run that lots and lots and lots of places. And that is the infrastructure that we at Ridge are are building for the industry. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that. So so you founded Ridge in 2018. And yeah. you know, I hope you got some good founder stock at Akamai. And if I imagine that you held on to it for a little bit, you probably did not need to start another company. So clearly something captured your imagination. What was it that going on in 2018 where you said, This is something that that I can build and I can I can beat Akamai, I can beat Cloudflare, I can beat Amazon, or at least potentially. What what's tell us about that? That's uh it's I mean it's pretty bold. Well, when you say it that way, I mean <laughs> just, just call it a day. Um, <laughs> um, when when we started when we started Ridge uh, over two years ago, as you said in, in 2018, I was looking at 
you know, I've, I, as I said to you at the beginning, I've, I've always really enjoyed being in the infrastructure industry. It has always felt, you know, like it's not the sexiest place that you can be in, in terms of, you know, industry accolades, but it's absolutely, you always feel like you're building something that's mission critical. You always feel like you're building something that, that, you know, Hey, if you didn't have this stuff out there, it just wouldn't work. Um, that's really true. I mean, I, this first, my, my first venture into infrastructure and I definitely feel that way. So I, yeah. I, I definitely understand that. Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 um, try explaining to your kids what it is that you that you do but you know but but outside of that it, it really is it's a great place to be and so after I left Akamai I, I spent a, a good amount of time as an investor at a venture capital firm but I really missed being part of a team I missed the day-to-day kind of building of a business and and I really as I said enjoy the infrastructure space one of the things that we were observing in 2018 my, my co-founders uh, at, at Ridge and I is that there just didn't seem to be a lot of really good thinking about how to um, create very highly distributed infrastructure for compute. And if you have the background that I have coming out of, of having co-founded Akamai and having seen our original customers at Akamai build bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, uh, cages inside of data centers um, you know, when we started Akamai in 97, if you were a content provider that all of a sudden became popular, the way that you solved that problem was that you picked up the phone and you called your Sun Microsystem sales rep and you bought more Spark servers and you put them in a rack and you bought a bigger load balancer and those days. You put more connectivity in the door. That's how you solved the problem. And the cloud world, while nobody's buying Spark servers and nobody's buying load balancer, well, that's not how cloud native applications are being deployed. What we observed at Ridge is that it really did feel quite similar. You're an application owner, you've picked a place where you're gonna run it, a cloud that you're gonna run it on. And as it gets more popular, you just use more and more and more of those resources and your build just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually, you know, it gets huge and you start thinking about maybe I should replicate it somewhere else. Maybe there is a way to divide it up. But really, this is fundamentally centralized infrastructure in the way that it has been. Right. I mean, you're on Amazon and in the United States, you're making two choices, U.S. West or U.S. East. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and, and if you did decide that you were going to be multi-cloud and be on AWS and, you know, GCP, their data centers are right across the street from each other. Um, right. So, you know, uh, uh, everybody's in the same. I can job. manage them by hand on a spreadsheet. Right. Yes. And, and everybody's in the same geographies as well. They should be. Those are the places yeah, that have the best are. connectivity, that have the best, you know, peering that, that like it makes sense. If you're going to pick a place, that's what it should be. But the argument that we're making at Ridge and that you guys are making at Vapor is applications that are going to really change the world going forward are going to want more than just that very finite number of places. One of the things that happened at Akamai is that we, because this distributed infrastructure existed for content, because the CDN was created, and because you could get scalability, reliability, and performance in ways that you never were going to be able to out of centralized infrastructure, yes, our original customers, CNN, the New York Times, their websites got a little bit faster. Yes, they were able to put richer imagery and do more complex stuff on their websites. But the other thing that happened is that Netflix happened and, you know, Hulu happened and gaming, you know, online gaming happened. And, and, and again, even if some of those companies were not ever Akamai customers, 
the reason that those capabilities exist in the marketplace, the reason that we have those types of services is because the CDN was created and now all of a sudden you completely changed what entrepreneurs and what content owners believed to be the sort of the art of the possible, right? Yeah. All of a sudden you can do totally different stuff. Yeah. We haven't actually said these words. I'm going to say them and you tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like Ridge is building a distributed cloud, meaning instead of U.S. West and U.S. East, I can provision cloud resources in Chicago West and Chicago East and Moscow West and Moscow East or whatever. Is that, am I, am I getting the general idea? Yeah. Well, so what we're doing at Ridge, what we're doing at Ridge is we are, we're, we're building a very highly distributed cloud. We believe that applications, uh, that, that cloud native applications that are being built today, that there are many of them out there that are going to care a lot about geography and care a lot about being highly distributed, either for latency reasons, as we talked about earlier, or for the, ge or, or for the data sovereignty and geographic reasons that we talked about earlier as well. So we are big believers that there's a whole set of applications that are already being built and that we're going to see more and more and more of them show up that really do care about that. The cloud that we're building is quite different than sort of anything else that's out there because we are doing this by partnering with existing data center operators all over the world. The best space, power, and connectivity in every geography everywhere in the world is owned and operated by a data center company in that place. The best data centers in Tokyo are owned by Japanese data center companies. The mm -hmm. best data centers in Frankfurt are owned by German data center companies. Those data center uh, companies and or you know ISPs carriers, those companies have over the years developed a lot of compute offerings for their customers. Sometimes they're VMware based. Sometimes they're you know uh, OpenStack based. Sometimes they're you know a, a bare metal cloud. Right? There are a lot of different ways that you can consume compute from those data center companies in these different geographies all over the world. However, we haven't found any, well, very not 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 none, but very 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 few of those data center operators, despite the amazing space, power, and connectivity that they have, despite the incredible compute and sort of virtualization stacks that they have available to their customers, they are today generally incapable of offering the managed services that are the hallmark of what a modern cloud native application wants. They don't have managed databases. They don't have managed storage. They don't have managed Kubernetes. They don't have managed containers. All of these services that have become what today in the world we are calling platform as a service, right? The pass offerings that are out there, as opposed to the lower level infrastructure as a service offerings that are there, simply don't exist in that data center uh, and, and, you know, an ISP and carrier world. And so what we're doing at Ridge is we're partnering with these operators all over the world, taking the best IaaS available in those markets and turning it into pass. Now, the thing that we get to do beyond doing it in an individual market is by partnering with data centers in lots and lots and lots of different markets, we get to federate that and create a truly global cloud such that today in the earliest days of our commercial operations, we have over 80 different places where we could deploy managed container or managed Kubernetes based workloads. In the same way as at Akamai, we didn't own the underlying data centers and network, 
at Ridge, we don't own the underlying data centers network or for that matter, server capacity. But these data center operators out there who, as I said, space power connectivity compute, they're great at. They just don't have the software layer that we're able to provide for. Yeah, so basically your model is to find underutilized pockets of compute that sit in these edge networks. And as you say, federate them, bring them together through a universal software layer that developers can understand and program to so that I can build an application. I can be in Seattle and build an application that runs all over the world. Is that essentially the... Absolutely. And the, and the only thing that I might correct a little bit is that I, I'm not necessarily even looking for underutilized capacity. It's capacity of any sort that's there. They're, the data centers we are talking to are saying, wow, we've, we want to be in this business and we'll put dedicated capacity. I see, right. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are incented to sort of forward deploy. I mean, even like HPE with GreenLake, like creating right. innovative business models where it's pay as you grow and, and that feeds directly into, yeah, so back at Akamai, do you have to buy all your servers essentially or lease them yourselves? We did, we bought, yeah, we, interesting. Bought all our, we bought all of our servers um, at Akamai. Um, we, uh, we sort of, yeah, we had our, our own reference architecture for them. We bought them ourselves. We owned them. We shipped them out to the data centers where, you know, the local data center partner of ours would help us to deploy them after the, the first eight that Danny and I drove out to Waltham, Massachusetts in the trunk of my Mazda and didn't realize we needed to bring our own tools. So screwed into a rack in Waltham using a screwdriver off of the spare tire kit in my car. We, we, only oh, I love did, it. we only did a few of those ourselves before we realized that that was not something that we were going to be that good at. And we, we asked our data center partners to help us, you know, kind of rack them and stack them. But yes, at, at Akamai, the actual hardware infrastructure is owned by Akamai. And, and at Ridge, as I said, you know, these data center partners who we enjoy working with, they have outstanding, I mean, you know who these guys are. They're great. They're great. Yeah, at jobs. They're great. And they have good, good balance sheets and good yeah. investors. And yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting world. And I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, I don't think we're ready to write the history books yet, but, but I'm certainly sensing it that one of the things that's, that's catalyzing this transformation is the innovation and in business models. You know, I mean, in my business, for instance, you know, we're in the business of, of shared infrastructure. And right. the economics, I mean, to your point, right, the economics of shared infrastructure is so compelling. Like if there is a data center that somebody has already paid for and figured out how to amortize and all you have to pay for is a tiny piece of that and you're sharing the, you know, the, the universal expenses with, you know, 20 other tenants or 150 other tenants, that, that's the economics that is just so compelling. And I just feel like those kinds of innovations are more readily available than they've ever been. Uh, yeah, I think that's certainly true. And, you know, I think one of the other things that we've found is that the data center uh, operators and companies who we are, are partnering with and working with, often when we describe what we've built and we describe this software layer that will take their, you know, kind of IaaS capability and create, you know, a, a, a managed services, um, very modern kind of stack on top of, of what they have, you know, with a lot of them, their eyes kind of light up and they say, Oh yeah, we've got a bunch of customers who've been asking us. You know, they're big customers of uh, you know a big data lake that they have stored here, or a bunch of kind of you know uh, uh, um, legacy applications that they're running in cages in my data center. But they also have built a bunch of new applications, and I'm their preferred service provider. And they're asking me if they can buy a managed container service from me, or can they buy a managed Kubernetes service from me? And my answer to them is no. You know, I don't have that yet, and 
what we've been able to do is to allow those data center operators to go back to that customer and say, hold on a second. Actually, I do. I've got one. Interesting. Yeah. The yeah. Same, right next to the cage that you already know and love with the same account manager, with the same, you know, excellent pricing, with the same stuff that you are so committed to, you know, to using at a large scale data center that, it, as we've said, you know, are truly exceptional operators. Yes, I now have those more modern services on top of, of this stack. You know, the way that we approach it is if you can run an application on, you know, without um, without picking on, on any of the hyperscalers more than the other, you know, but but with on GKE, for example, if you have a sure. Kubernetes-based application that can run on GKE, you should be able to pick that up and without running, without changing a line of code, run that at any data center uh, on the Ridge map. Any of okay. the places that we have, pick that application up from GKE, drop it down and run it you know, in any one of these geographies that we have. Yeah. So that leads to a, a really interesting question that I have. So so I understand that. I understand that one of the power of, you know, platform like Kubernetes uh, is to be able to, you know, with the containers and everything to basically have, have this be right once run many places. Yeah. But that's, that's just a mini problem, a mini version of the problem we have today, which is how do I run it in US West and US East and on GK and Azure and, and Amazon. But there's a more interesting question which is so there's a there's a difference in my mind between a cloud native application and a highly distributed cloud native application mm -hmm. and as i'm sure you know true distributed computing is actually really hard yes and you you know how do you how do you <laughs> how do you coordinate you know how do you, you know yeah. amazon i mean google uses atomic clocks to coordinate you know database writes across the world how is ridge helping to solve those higher order problems if at all well, so it's a great question. And, and as you said, you know, truly distributed compute is incredibly difficult. You know, the, the thing that we are, uh, the, the thing that we're focused on is understanding from the application owner's standpoint, what functions can in fact become distributed applications and which mm -hmm. ones can't. We are not going to claim that every single application that is running on AWS today should move over to a distributed, you know, computational model. We also aren't going to say that, you know, there are going to be certain distributed applications that will work well, but will require dedicated connectivity, for example, between the facilities, right? For a, a database reason or for a, a, you know, synchronization, you know, reason. Um, and those are applications that we kind of look at and we say, okay, that might not be, we, you know, Ridge might not be the right platform for that quite yet. Ridge is right in today's world for applications that are going to be able to run as, again, a managed Kubernetes, managed container, a managed service application in a, uh, you know, in a bunch of discrete geographies with the ability to tie back to whatever systems it needs. Yeah, so there's there's sort the of replication of the core workload, and then maybe there's some some you know some coordination with core workloads right. and all that, but it's it's not necessarily true. Yeah, and I think you can get pretty far with that certainly. Right, and it sounds like you're watching what your customers are asking for and some of the innovations are happening because there are some really innovations happening, you know, with the service mesh people and stuff like that yeah. to, you know, create applications that more autonomously run across multiple geographies. But it's it's still yeah. it's still very much a computer science problem that hasn't completely been solved. It, it, that, uh, no, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, and there are a lot of um, kind of interconnect problems between facilities, for example, that 10 or 15 years ago, we would have said that the only way to solve them is with dedicated fiber, you know, and today we're solving them with some kind of virtualized network layer, 
that mm. you know, connects between places. And look, you guys see this at you know at at, at Vapor, right? There are there yeah. you guys have a bunch of kind of applications that people care about that you know need the dedicated connectivity that you're bringing to certain of the facilities, and others where you know nailing up virtual circuits does the trick. Yeah, so you, you mentioned that today um, a customer of Ridge can deploy in 80 locations. Is that right? Is that I hear that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah 80 locations. What are the most interesting use cases that your early customers have brought to your platform? So the place that we've had um, some success early on, I'll give you a couple of examples. One is uh, a company that provides uh, virtual desktop and remote browsing services. Most of their customers are in the financial services industry and, you know, these are, are companies who are, you know, have a whole approach to how you make sure that yeah. you're keeping your actual... Yeah. Super uh, important during COVID. Totally, totally, yeah. totally. So what do you do when people are on the road, but also what do you do when people are in the office? Yeah. How do you make sure that that the fact that everybody uh, sit, sitting, you know, everybody who has an email address at uh, morganstanley.com, right, has a web browser that can open up and, and mean that lots of different people can get to that machine. And so there's a, a whole set of technologies around uh, both the virtual desktop side of that and, and more specifically the remote browsing side of that that are very, very interested in high levels of geographic distribution. That's been one place mm-hmm. that we've seen a lot of interest in this kind of edge compute capability. Remote monitoring and, and, and quality monitoring. So, you know, uh, a Thousand Eyes was acquired recently, right? And But, you know, we know people who sort of say, Hey, listen, if a thousand eyes is good, then 10,000 eyes has got to be better, right? And so the idea that you can actually have um, very highly distributed virtualized infrastructure in, in lots of different places is, you know, is another thing that people that we've seen happen. We've seen a lot of ad tech and, uh, the, and the inference part of AI and, and machine learning technologies want to be distributed to be much closer to end users. So we see a lot of, you know, kind of, like I said, ad tech, especially sort of computationally intensive kind of content creation and ad selection and uh, user inferencing, a lot of those sorts of things that, you know, these companies have said to their, their, their customers have said to them, listen, I love the fact that you're going to do some really cool stuff and make sure that the perfect thing ends up in front of that user. But if you slow my site down, if you slow my content down, if you slow my overall interaction with them down, I don't care that you've optimized what you're putting in front of them. Yeah you've ruined the experience for them. And so we're seeing a lot of interest from those types of, you know, of applications and use cases. And then finally, you know, I think whenever you talk about latency, people immediately go to to gaming as one of the interesting spots. And we certainly have seen, um, you know, some next generation uh, uh, games where the architecture teams are already starting to think about whether they should embrace a much more geographically distributed model than they are currently embracing. We haven't seen any of those, you know, turn into to, to live customer traffic yet, but the, there is a fair amount of conversations around the, the design cycle time for the next uh, generation of games. Yeah, so at the top of the interview, I, I kind of teased you about, you know, competing against Amazon and Google and all these large yeah. cloud providers, but you actually just recently wrote an article saying that the future will be hyperscaler and distributed cloud, not hyperscaler or distributed cloud. And so I imagine you have a plan to support your customers that, and maybe even partner with the large hyperscalers. What, what can you tell us about your thinking along those lines? Oh, well, so, you know, the, the, the way that I think about, that we think about this at Ridge is I can't imagine that if we sit down and have a conversation five years from now about the cloud, that, you know, three companies have 
100% market share of that industry. It just, we've never seen an infrastructure, you know, capability or an infrastructure company become a full-on monopoly in, you know, in the infrastructure world. Even AOL at their biggest and baddest and, you know, and, 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 uh, and most powerful. They did corner the market on CD mailers, though. They did. They did on 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 college dorm coasters. Yeah. They, they did um, between theirs and you know and the Earthlink ones. That was the those were the collector's items. You know, even at, at their peak, AOL I think represented at Akamai. We observed that at their peak, they observed they, they represented something like sixteen percent of internet traffic consumption in the United States. And so, you know, the idea that we're going to have an infrastructure provider that will be able to do everything that a company needs them to do for them all over the world in every single location just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. We see things like Kubernetes, you know, as much as it's a, a standard and a technology, we sort of view it as a, as a protocol. This is how application owners are making sure that they will be able to run their application in lots of different places. I believe that our customers are going to be using us plus some number of other clouds. I don't think that People are going to pick up and leave, you know, uh, Azure to, uh, to to run on on Ridge. I think that they are going to find geographies all over the world that matter to them, latency sensitive applications where they're going to want a very 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 high level of geographic distribution, and they are going to say, "Great, I'm going to figure out how to have a multi cloud environment where I'm using, you know, a hyperscaler or two. Maybe I'm using a, a, a you know, we're already seeing this today, by the way, right in China." The massive kind of growth that we've seen at AliCloud and at Tencent has come from companies saying, okay, I get it. The hyperscalers aren't great in those markets. I'm going to run on a hyperscaler in a lot of places. And then I'm also going to use AliCloud to make sure I do a great job in China. So we already have this paradigm of multiple clouds for different, you know, geographies. And Yeah. And it just occurred to me that, you know, you know, I mentioned the power of shared infrastructure and shared costs and open source is really just shared infrastructure in a sense. And so it is one of the catalysts, right? The fact that Kubernetes existed and a lot of other companies, you know, IBM Red Hat, Google, you know, all are contributing to this code base and that's causing people to adopt it. But also you've got a free, I'll put that in, in air quotes, free software that, that you can implement as a protocol that other people understand is, right. is really empowering. That's really neat. So let's look into the future. Where do you see the tipping point? I mean, at what point are we just talking about Edge as if it's part of the cloud? Like that's just how cloud native developers incorporate Edge or Edge native developers are using the entirety of the cloud. Like at what point does the Edge and the cloud just become this one big thing? in people's minds, like the, the generation uh, of developers? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Um, well, I, I think that what happens is that, you know, what today we would call the edge becomes something that is, you know, kind of subsumed in the core and then your next edge kind of Interesting. develops. Right? Yeah. So I think that we're going to end up in a world. So, so again, going back to my orders of magnitude kind of analogy at the beginning, right? If you want hundreds of milliseconds of latency, the core kind of is the edge already today. Right. For, again, some very, very large percentage of the population. Sure. If you want tens of milliseconds of latency, we're building this specialized thing that people are calling edge in order to handle that. But 
in the not terribly distant future, going back to my history at Akamai, right? Like 1998's broadband is, you know, is my cell phone when it's about to die on its last, you know, line of battery and its last line of connectivity. So as we move over time, sort of what we call something and these definitional terms of something really shift as well. And so I think that if we look out a few years from now, these tens of milliseconds kind of applications aren't going to be something that we think about as a specialized edge application anymore. Right. And now that's it's just going to be part of the cloud. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, we have customers today at my company that are demanding 75 microsecond latencies, but you're right. That is a really specific bespoke application. It's not, but eventually it's just going to be subsumed into the cloud. Yeah. I mean, we're a ways away from 75 microseconds being something that everybody gets all the time, but we're not that far away from tens of milliseconds kind of way of looking at this, right? And when we get the tens of milliseconds as being something that people are accustomed to and everybody gets, right? Like right now, who at their house doesn't have a 50 min, you know, megabits per second of connectivity? Oh, uh, that's just connectivity. Right. Well, that's okay. right. That's uh, right. You have a gigabit per second. Yeah. Wow. I remember when a 9600 baud modem was a big deal. Exactly. Exactly. And five years from now, when everybody's got a gigabit per second to their, high, you know, uh, to, to their house, uh, the house, the then, car, their, their, right factory <laughs> their rain sensor <laughs> totally so so that to me is kind of how how you know how, how i think about it so i think that if we talk about five years from now is your question i would imagine that milliseconds of see the vast majority of users in the world is sort of de rigueur that's kind of if you're a cloud you know if you're an application owner you are going to know how to get that again you might not get it from one vendor i don't think you're going to get that just from you know aws i think you're going to get that from uh, what what five years from now will be what we call cloud architecture. And I think cloud architecture is going to be what today we're calling edge cloud architecture. And then five years from now, we'll sit down and we'll talk about how hard it is to get the single, you know, digit milliseconds of latency and how that's the, you know, that's going to be 2025's edge cloud. Yeah. So if you're a developer today and, you know, you're kicking yourself for, 10 years ago, not becoming a mobile developer and five years right. ago for not becoming a cloud native developer, you should consider yeah. becoming an edge native developer totally. because totally. Jo- Jonathan says it's here in the next five years and that's about the right time right. frame. So what do you see as the biggest challenges? I mean, if you could look out into the, you know, the, the near future, you know, the next 10 years and identify, you know, the dominoes that have to topple to like make this a mass yeah. phenomenon, like yeah. what's the, which is the one domino that you would push? Ooh, boy. Well, it's a big domino and it has, uh, it's even, it's more than a domino. So I'm going to cheat a little bit in this answer, but, you know, for this to work, this is an ecosystem play, right? One of the things that makes the hyperscale clouds so powerful is the ecosystems that they have developed around their platforms. And there's a lot of convenience that comes from picking a single hyperscale platform that you're going to use as your infrastructure. And having a whole bunch of people who are certified and know and, you know, and, and understand that platform do work for you all the time. Um, we are really big believers in things like, you know, Terraform and things like uh, Rancher and things like, you know, the, the, the third party kind of orchestration, CICD, all of those capabilities, which if you're going to be a, a, a multi-cloud application, 
you know, you need to pull together as an ecosystem play as opposed to a single vendor, you know, play. That to me is the thing that is is going to, to see the most kind of advancement for this to become more mainstream and more accessible over time. And you guys at Vapor have been, you know, really, really, you guys have really led in this way, right? I mean, Cole Crawford, your founder and CEO, who, who I know, you know pretty well, talks about this a lot. Like, none of us are going to solve this on our own. This is going to be an ecosystem, yeah. you know, play. And, and we're going to need to have a, when a customer walks in the door and says, okay, I love the idea that you can get me a managed service offering in a bunch of geographies that I really care about and where I don't have any infrastructure today. You're really solving a very real problem for me today. But hey, how am I going to, you know, make this mesh together with the stuff I'm already running on GKE? How am I going to make the, and, and, and to have a full ecosystem that can support that and make that easy is going to be uh, hugely important. So Ridge is open for business. What what kind of customers are you looking to talk to and how can they get a hold of you? Oh, well, thank you for the final kind of plug on the way out the door. Perfect. Um, so Ridge is open for business. As, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, we've been building this for over two years. We are able to offer managed services on top of absolutely top tier infrastructure in many different geographies around the world. We are looking for a couple of different types of customers and partners. We are looking to talk to any cloud native application owner that is interested in finding deployment capability in in lots of places around the world. If it's not going to be just, you know, Secaucus, New Jersey and Frankfurt, then we absolutely have, you know, all those geographies covered. We have Secaucus and Frankfurt as well, but you know, we're uniquely qualified to provide infrastructure in, in a lot of different geographies around the world. And the other thing that we're very interested in is um, data center operators who have, you know, uh, virtual compute offerings for their customers, but don't have the managed services that modern customers are looking for. Mm, yeah. Who walk in the door saying, hey, I love this infrastructure service that you have for me, but I, I really am looking for a platform as a service offering. I want to buy a managed Kubernetes offering. I don't want to run it myself. Data center operators who, uh, you know, who have that type of interaction with their customers. And, and, and we know that there are many of them out there that are having those exact conversations with some of their top customers. We can absolutely partner with you to solve that problem and to, to thrill your customers with very modern offering on your existing stack. Are you hiring? Uh, we are. We are. We are hiring for our sales team in the United States. Uh, I'm based in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, but like everybody or Cambridge, Massachusetts, but like all of us, I don't go to an office anymore. So we are very flexible in terms of where people come to us from. Our development team is also able to work in, in, in a bunch of different geographies. My co-founder and our CTO is uh, running the bulk of that team out of Israel, but we are absolutely open to, to folks on our on our full stack development team in other geographies as well. That's awesome. And it's, it's ridge.co back to, you know, that not the, the odd, you know, expansion of, of exactly. uh, top level domains. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Ridge.co. Well, Jonathan, uh, this has been either that or ridge cloud network, some of the time.com. Awesome. I think that's a, that's a better short, short URL. Uh, okay. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us here at edge computer world and on the over the edge podcast. This will be available at the Edge Computing World, you know, the videos that are available, and we'll also publish a version of this on the Over the Edge podcast, which, again, you can find at overtheedgepodcast.com. And 
Donna, I really appreciate you joining with us. This has been a fabulous conversation, and I look forward to walking this journey with you. That's great. Hey, Matt, it's nice to spend some time with you. Thank you very much for the opportunity, and thank you to people who uh, who tuned in and, and listened and watched us. Um, much appreciated. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of the Magnificent Seven. Vapor.io, Packet, Seagate, Catchpoint, Ori Industries, Zenlayer, and NetFoundry. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to subscribe, rate five stars and review, and share the show with someone you know who might enjoy it. To get in touch with the show, email us at team at overtheedgepodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Zenlayer's Global Edge cloud platform lets you improve digital experiences for your users instantly. You only have fractions of a second to grab a user's attention before they give up and move on. But lowering latency doesn't have to be complicated or expensive. Zenlayer offers on-demand edge services in over 150 POPs around the world, with expertise in fast-growing emerging markets. Whichever Zenlayer edge services you choose to lower latency, you'll find the result is a happier, more engaged user base. Visit zenlayer.com edge to learn more.